live from the Nixcast Phanthropological Institute, it's a Nick Rush. Today we're talking about fans of StarCraft. And welcome back to Fanthropological, the podcast that brings the fans I view to you. I am Nick G, and today we are going to be talking about fans of the godfather of esports, <laughs> StarCraft. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. Uh, hey, forget about it. <laughs> you put and me on Z? the spot. <laughs> Good thing you have enough pylons, otherwise I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be able to show up here today. Uh, yeah, we definitely had to construct additional pylons before the podcast today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Excuse me, T. You know that I'm going to introduce you every week. <laughs> I, I think every week that we roll a die and I just keep getting rolled first. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like, maybe one of these weeks C will be first. I've been wrong on numerous mm-hmm. occasions. C's been first before. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, a few times. Everyone's taken me off guard. That's true. It's one out of two. The odds are pretty good that I would be first frequently. Also, welcome Kaito L. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. Hey. Oh my goodness. Diving into StarCraft this week was just a absurd world of knowledge. Like there's just so much out there. Mm-hmm. I think you were saying before the cast, G, that, you know, last week we were, or one of the previous weeks we were talking about World of Warcraft and we we're trying mm-hmm. to take the, the, the approach of finding china specific research it's like oh that's there's some stuff out there china's a portion and and a lot of the research had to do with like the problems that china had with getting world of warcraft going anyway sorry yeah yeah no i was i was just leading you in yeah yeah (laughs) but like finding stuff about korea and starcraft not difficult no no whatsoever all right, so I'll get us started right into StarCraft. We're not wasting any time. We are getting our APM up to over 150. When this baby hits over 150, <laughs> we're all going to see some serious <laughs> The stream has swears. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Special <laughs> bonus feature for when you're not <laughs> listening to the podcast live. Yeah. Fandom facts. So I'm going to dive right into fandom facts. And I'm uh, going to start with the origins of StarCraft. To give a quick little overview of what StarCraft is, StarCraft is a military science fiction media franchise owned by Blizzard Entertainment, which you may know as also the creator of World of Warcraft and Warcraft. And actually, for the longest time, that was it. But now they have Overwatch and some other games. But like... Overwatch is them too? Uh, pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just Blizzard? owned... Oh, yeah. The MMORPG uh, biz. Mm-hmm. That's not entirely true because there's many others like League of Legends, but like that is an entirely separate conversation. (laughs) Yeah. The series set in the beginning of the 26th century centers on a galactic struggle for dominance among four species. I was like four. And then I realized that I've never really played Starcraft. So obviously (laughs) I know nothing about Starcraft. Uh, Four species, the adaptable and mobile Terrans, the ever evolving insectoid Zerg, the powerfully mm-hmm. enigmatic Protoss, and the fourth one. No, the the godlike <laughs> Zell Naga. The even more powerful and enigmatic fourth <laughs> yeah, one. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> the original game, released in 1998, 
which had debuted at E3 in 1996 Ooh. and had started development in 1995. Wow. And its official expansion had been praised as one of the benchmark real-time strategy games of its time. The series has gathered a solid following around the world. In terms of the size of the fandom, as of December 2010, which is admittedly pretty old data, but it's what I got, StarCraft II had sold about 4.5 million copies, uh, including an additional over 2 million illegal copies, (laughs) which had set a record for the most data transferred by a single torrent in only three months. Wow. Is Game of Thrones popular, this game? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. And then looking back to StarCraft, uh, by June 2007, StarCraft and its expansion Brood Wars had sold nearly 10 million copies combined. Later, Mm. I learned 4.5 million of which were sold in South Korea alone. Yeah. Man. So like, you know, almost half just to one country. (laughs) No big deal. By comparison, the StarCraft Reddit has about 190,000 subscribers. And the StarCraft 2 subreddit has over 10,000. Oh, dang. Ooh. That's quite a bit less. We'll probably talk about that more when we get into the why, because I think there might be a divide between the two games. What? I mean, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, in terms of changes in the fandom, like most of the fandoms that I've observed with Google Trends, and again, Google Trends data is relative to the thing that you're searching. So when we look up starcraft we're talking about how popular is starcraft relative to other times people have searched for starcraft Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that sense interest in starcraft has been on the decline whether you're looking at the word starcraft uh the video game starcraft or the other video game starcraft 2 there was an insane spike in interest in august 2010 which was the release of starcraft 2 There was a point, I think, in around 2007 where interest suddenly shifted from StarCraft to StarCraft II. Like, there's a very dramatic change in search interest. Hmm. And there was another spike in May 2007, which coincides with the Blizzard Worldwide Invitational hosted in Korea, which I imagine is also when StarCraft II may have been announced or talked about. Mm -hmm. That was the majority of the fandom packs that I gathered this week because... I was swamped with many other things, mm-hmm. but uh, still quite a bit. I may have a stat. Oh, man. Ooh. I have one stat that I was going to save for later. but Ooh. Okay, well, hopefully it's not this one. Secret stats. Okay, go for it. On the StarCraft YouTube page, I found a Korean documentary called The Story of GG. Oh, like the term? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Not actually about the term, but about the explosion of, of StarCraft in South Korea. Uh-huh. And... Uh, and this is from an article from ESPN. What? Covering esports. Okay. Legit. Though there are some reporters that have made their career covering StarCraft in Korea. Uh, in 2005, at the height of the StarCraft Brood War craze in South Korea, more than how many people reportedly packed Gwangali Beach to witness the country's two largest esports teams play in the finals of the Pro League? 200 million. That's right. There are 200 million people on a beach. <laughs> one million. <laughs> Fine. Seems more reasonable. One million. Final answer. <laughs> okay. Well, you went too high as a hundred thousand people, as, but yep, yep. Still, a lot of people to come out to watch two teams play video games. It had to be a big <laughs> number. I just didn't have a sense of scale. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of like the biggest concerts in the world 
in terms of attendance. Mm-hmm. And they're probably about 100,000 or something like that. Okay, that yeah. puts things into um, context. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump in here with another stat, and uh, I'm going to take a stat stab at T's secret stat. <laughs> stat that I'm bringing up is that uh, in 2005, the Super Bowl brought uh, 80,000 people into the stadium where it was played, but a StarCraft match in South Korea in a stadium in Busan brought out 120,000 people. That is a lot. Yeah, there's a bit of perspective. I mean, I think when we talked about football anecdotally in the fantasy football episode, there was some discussion about like Super Bowls and changing demographics and things like that, but uh, like still, wow, that's a lot of people. There is like one football, I know this because of wrestling, but there's one <laughs> football stadium in North America that can hold 100,000 people, and that is like the biggest one. Wow. That's Cowboy Stadium in Dallas. I will drop this little stat then because I think it, it is inherently interesting and because as we inevitably talk about pro gamership in South Korea and worldwide and whatever in regards to StarCraft, it will also put some things into context. Okay. So you're playing StarCraft or StarCraft 2 or, or arguably any real-time strategy game, right? Like mm-hmm. you, or, you or I or whoever. And mm-hmm. oftentimes they use this value called actions per minute. Yep. Because when you're doing a real-time strategy game, you know, you have many different things going on. I mean, I mentioned what StarCraft is, didn't talk about what real-time strategy games are because they're more complex. They're 4X games. Exploration, exploit. Explore, expand, exploit. One other. I think it's expunged to, like, murder. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Like, you can have 4X games that aren't RTSs, but in this case... Starcraft is one of those games. But like you're building units, you're upgrading units, you're upgrading facilities, you're building facilities, mm-hmm. um, you're exploring, scouting, all this other stuff. Yep. So those are actions that you can do. How many actions per minute do you need to be proficient at StarCraft 2? Proficient. Like this is not pro level. This is just to like okay. not totally suck. Um fifty. Fifty, okay. Z? I'm just gonna guess thirty. Thirty. Both of you would be terrible StarCraft two players. <laughs> Imagine if I had the power to say how many actions per minute and then just be able to do that. I'd be even terribler than 50 <laughs> actions per minute. Anyway, go on. Uh, the number is apparently 150 oh. per minute, which is 2.5 actions per second. Wow. That is to be proficient. Now, I know as numbers work that it's probably not yeah. like a linear scaling, right? Like an expert is probably not doing... 300 actions per minute you know what i'll find that out when there's a lull in the conversation <laughs> but like even if that was you know 10 percent more 20 percent more i could throw that stat down right now actually. oh do you have it that'd be great if we're pulling out stats yeah this is fandom facts my friend not fandom <laughs> guesses not fandom conjectures <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. also not right. reviving the dead so don't die, Z. <laughs> okay i gotta yeah i gotta be careful here This is from an article called Five Insane True Facts About StarCraft, the Professional Sport. Oh, this is the one from Crack.com? You betcha. I didn't read the specific number, but I'm excited to hear it. (laughs) Uh, Training is super intense, and players, if they wish to be pro, have to get at least up to 300 actions per minute. I was wrong. It is linear scaling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently... The pros, the bottom pros, are at least twice as good as somebody who's just kind of okay at the game. Yeah. Man. 
hopefully I didn't just make this up, but I feel like one of the uh, one of the experts, one of the pros that I was reading about had something like 305, 310. To say that 300 is the bottom level, I don't think is quite a- accurate. I think that's more of the average amongst professional players, but it like definitely skews higher or rather closer to 300, if not over 300. Wow. If that's the average, that's even more ridiculous because that means there are people that are doing better than that. Yeah, well, it's like even at uh, 300 actions per minute, that's like six actions every second. One, two, three, four. <laughs> one, two, three, four. That's two. That's like <laughs> one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. But that's like, what did the brother say? That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. At top level, I'm sure it's about just squeezing out one or two extra actions against your opponent can give you the edge. Yeah. I just think about it in terms of board games, and it's like, can you imagine that? Where everybody's like <laughs> frantically, it'd be like playing <laughs> Dutch Blitz compared to maybe like Ticket to Ride or something. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I wish some some people took six actions per per second. <laughs> well, that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> board games, know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Do I ever? Who? <laughs> uh this might uh, be a good time to we could have played like 40 games of ticket to ride in the time we took <laughs> oh my to goodness one. uh <laughs> there's somebody showing up oh they're asking questions about last episode hey how's it i'm sorry oh, hey. mm. sorry there, there's somebody that they weren't speaking very clearly they, they no, i think they were Starcraft. asking about uh last last week's episode and our famous last Ooh. words oh no yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, that definitely wasn't a terrible segue that they were riding on. Nope. <laughs> no, it was cool. It was a sweet. It had spinners, Ooh. but not fidget spinners. Uh, Real spinners. Real spinners. Z, I'm going to start with yes. you. Your famous last words from last week were, in the game StarCraft, there are three races you can choose. True. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good start, good start for me. <laughs> Sorry, G, you didn't answer that in the form of a question. Um, True? <laughs> to finish C's famous last words, which is most popular in South Korea and why? Did you find an answer to that question that you left yourself? Not really. Not really. I did happen across a post on a, a one of the major South Korean uh, message boards called Daum, D-A-U-M dot net. And in it, it was somebody asking, you know, I want to start playing StarCraft. Which race should I start with? And the suggestion was Protoss, just because like, you know, every race has its advantages and disadvantages, but it looked like Protoss was the best one for a starter because, you know, units are cheap, they're powerful. You don't need that many to do a lot of damage to, you know, take people out. The only other little kind of hint that I was able to find was in a another article. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the title written down in my notes. Ah, no. Was this article that was all about how in 2014, it seemed like pretty much, well, not pretty much everybody, but the majority of players in the pro leagues were going Protoss. In one competition in particular, five out of the top eight contenders were playing Protoss. And part of that had to do with sort of how the game was adjusted at that point in time. Because of the Protoss' ability called Blink, which allows them to teleport over a short distance, it was very popular to just like get a bunch of Protoss, blink into somewhere, do a bunch of damage, blink away, and just sort of do that over and over again, I guess. But uh, there was also an ability with Protoss to turn your base into like a giant cannon that would just 
shoot enemies if they got too close. Okay, so sort of like garrison kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then that article mentioned that, you know, near the end of uh, 2014, Blizzard sort of stepped in and patched a few things, but it's not necessarily that the Protoss were unbalanced. It's In the article, uh, they just outright said people who are playing Terran just aren't very good at playing Terran. Oh. I guess Terran's a little bit harder to master, but no mention was made of Zerg, interestingly. <laughs> I'm not playing a crazy sci-fi game to play as dumb humans. <laughs> So in every role playing thing, humans are like, they're really boring, but they can do anything. And you're like, they are adaptable is like pretty much. But what if I just want to be good at one thing? It's like, then don't be a human. (laughs) So my final conclusion, my final answer to my question is there doesn't really seem to be a favorite. It just fluctuates. You know, training is super intense. It takes, you know, people train 10 hours a day, six days a week. And I can't imagine that if you're doing that for months on end, you would stick with one race. I imagine that you probably rotate and find who you're best with and go with that. So aside from 2014, maybe being an exception, I'm not sure that there's ever really been one favored race in play. All right. Well, I can do you one better, Z. I accidentally stumbled across some data, but it wasn't what I was looking for. Oh, no. Uh, So I hadn't thought to mention it. But then I remembered and saw Mm. that you had that question. I do have some data from, you know, what the top races are. There is a site called Ranked FTW, like Mm. Ranked for the Win. Yep. uh, And it has stats on different leagues, races, and uh, population. What does population do? Maybe I shouldn't find that out on the air. (laughs) Not important. It's, (laughs) It's people playing the game. So probably useful during the research. Also not important. And it shows the people at every level, whether it be Grandmaster, Master, Diamond, Platinum, Gold, Silver, or Bronze, in the various modes, whether it be 1v1, Archon, Team 2v2, Random 2v2, and so on. Mm -hmm. And it has a time graph, which is extremely useful. And Mm -hmm. at the top of the graph, over all of the categories, for Korea, because they have one specifically for Korea, (laughs) Terran is on top. Oh, hey. Followed by Protoss, followed by Zerg, followed by Random. Yep. But that is across all players. If Mm. you start to look at Grandmaster, it's pretty even. Like 37% Zerg, 33% Protoss, 29% Terran. Mm -hmm. So there is some data. Yeah. Okay. It's it's good that there was an answer to that question because I was a little dissatisfied with what I had turned up. Yeah. It's not like a a perfect answer, but it's, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. What do we got for question number two? Let's take a look at what G had to say. Mm. G said, is StarCraft and expression of Korea's interest in sci-fi in general compared to, as an example, China and Warcraft? So, as with many of my answers in previous episodes, the answer is no, but slightly more interestingly. Mm. Because it's not only not the case, it's almost the opposite. Like, I don't know how much it ties into Korea's interest in StarCraft, but like, Korea is very, like, not into sci-fi. Yeah, the stuff I could come up with was uh, on (laughs) askakorean.blogspot.ca. Someone asked the Korean, what are some good Korean sci-fi movies? And the Korean's like, I don't know, man, there's not not much. Koreans aren't really into Mm sci-fi. And there's a sci-fi writer living in Korea who commented on the post. Mm -hmm. 
And he goes, yeah, like, science fiction is not Korea's thing. Why is it a difficult question? The subject of much speculation and theorizing among Korean sci-fi fans. My own theory is too complicated to explain here and is anyway shifting constantly oh, through the God. last time I spoke of it in academic sense at Worldcon in 2010. Yeah. My argument was that it had to do with Korea's particular historico-political zeitgeist at present hmm. and the social function of sci-fi in terms of shifts in the same in other places. So I don't know if sci-fi was at the root of the attraction of Korea to StarCraft at all. I definitely have more on that, but I'm going to bring that into the Y later. Oh, okay, cool. I have like a, a little note. It's floral notes on a bouquet of, <laughs> of uh, a metaphor that's run out of words. Uh, hey, yeah. so I had some famous last words last episode, <laughs> which were actually really poignant considering the stupid thing I just said. Hey, my famous last words from last week were StarCraft 2 is less popular than StarCraft 1 because it sucks. Hey. <laughs> so that is very hard to quantify. But the internet agrees with me. Oh, cool. That's the most important part. <laughs> so I was doing research to find out why StarCraft 2 is less popular. And the fact that I phrased it in a stupid way didn't help. Because what I found were there were lots of forum posts about why StarCraft 2 was not good or not as good as StarCraft. And um, the problem with that is like there are haters in any particular area. Mm -hmm. So that didn't really give me a cohesive answer. But I did find a question on Korra, which was why do some people prefer the original StarCraft to StarCraft 2? Which is the closest thing that I could find to like a cohesive, cogent answer. In this, one of the answerers cited that StarCraft 2 is a younger game, so it has less balance than StarCraft 1. Okay. Like, when you think about it, it came out in 1998. People have been playing it for at least a decade, probably two decades. Yeah. That is a lot of time for patches to come out, game balance to happen, and so on. Mm -hmm. StarCraft 1 is also a much slower game than StarCraft 2. Okay. So it's a little bit more rewarding when you get up to this high-level play aspect it's less likely to fall victim to like really early game. It's like a longer play session. Hmm. And there was this one really interesting quote that I think also kind of pokes at the why. And uh, it went like this. StarCraft 2 drastically reduces all of this. It has an auto control group, meaning you can just select entire huge army and command it at once. It has auto mine, rally point, shift click for multiple build orders, stacking of researches, basically less for the player to do. And then this was the line that kind of I thought really started to get at the heart of it. The problem is exactly this. StarCraft 2 managed to remove what differentiated the great StarCraft players from others. Ooh, they took wave dashing out. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I don't know what the why of StarCraft is, but it sounds like competitiveness is at the heart of it because otherwise why would you be mad that the playing field is level or more level for people mm -hmm. right sorry pokemon competitors <laughs> EV training is easy now is it did they fix it in sun and moon i thought it was hard again oh i thought it had become easy with uh like the super train or whatever yeah but that was that's only an x and y though right yeah they did take that out there is a way to do it in uh, Sun and Moon, but it's more involved. You got to like go to the festival plaza or whatever, and uh, garbage. there are, there are no. extra steps. <laughs> not interested. <laughs> not interested, <laughs> and not part of this episode. If you want to learn about, po wait, we haven't done an episode. No, we have oh, we not. <gasps> we did a live episode on. Pokemon. Yeah. Oh, that wish we have. You check that out. 
at fantapological.com. Yes. Yeah. But we didn't do a recorded, like a regular recorded one. No, that's, Not important. That's true. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. So why? Yeah, why? Why? All right. I'm going to start the meandering garden path. Mm, here we go. That That is the why. Yeah, that is the why. <laughs> Talking specifically about South Korea when I was doing the research, I, I came across something that I would definitely not have expected to come across. You know, when we talk about fans of a thing, things that immediately come to mind are like, you know, a childhood love of something or like experiencing something in youth or having a really fun time with it or, you know, it just like being fiercely promoted and it just becoming a part of, of who you are and the things that you do. Mm. That's not necessarily false in this case, but maybe the path to getting to that is a bit more circuitous. So I, f- I found out reading a different Quora question, which was how did StarCraft get so popular in South Korea and why did it not become hugely popular in Japan mm. where there are a lot of similar cultural forces in effect? Yeah. It didn't talk too much about the Japanese side of things, but it did talk about this interesting thing. In 1997, there was the Asian financial crisis. Okay. And as a result, many people in Korea were unemployed. That's like a piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, fine. You know, lots of people unemployed. Why not uh, play video games? Why not do that? Sure. So here comes piece number two of the puzzle. Okay. I admittedly do not know much about the history of like Far East Asia, but I do know that Japan and Korea have a dicey history. Oh, yeah. So in Japan at the time, Japan obviously has a booming video game scene, like arcades, etc. Mm-hmm. Why not just import some of that stuff? Sure. Answer? You don't like it because <laughs> Korea and Japan don't get along. Yeah. I don't know if, if they were in effect then or if they're still in effect. But I remember uh, when I was over there hearing about, over in South Korea, hearing about how there were certain bans on uh, elements of Japanese media, like... Samurai movies, for example, couldn't come to Korea because there is some sort of some sort of element of censorship involved within the Korean like entertainment industry that disallowed any kind of Japanese iconography. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. So I mean that ties into the next bit, which was okay, but they still got video game consoles and things like that. So what did they do? They they import them and you take things like the Sega Genesis, which mm-hmm. I don't think is technically Japanese, because Sega's a an American company, isn't it? Or I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. But it probably had prominent developers in Japan. Not important. Yeah. So you import the Sega Genesis as the Super Aladdin Boy. Mm. You know, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. So you start importing some things, but people still know they're Japanese, so it's like not super popular. Yeah. So that's like two pieces. You can't bring all this cultural work that is very rooted in like entertainment and leisure. You can't bring it to Korea. And you've got this financial crisis. So you've got a lot of people who are unemployed. Mm-hmm. I think people had like PCs at the time and they may not have been super powerful, but they had them. So in 1998, Blizzard releases this game has local. Oh, uh, in addition to um, uh, people having PCs, are they, unless you're going to get to this later, the proliferation of PC bangs. PC Bangs? Bongs. It's like there's two A's. I don't know. PC Bangs sounds like just such a neat little phrase (laughs) that I want to say it that way. (laughs) But uh, you know the language better than I. PC Long. It's it's Internet Cafe. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. I was not actually going to get to that. I had assumed that one of the two of you would get to that (laughs) and I could just fill in the blanks. Literally PC Room for those who are curious. Oh, okay. In, In 1997, there were 100 in South Korea. 
Okay. Today there are an estimated twenty five thousand. Oh wow. Jeez. Did you uh gee, did you read up about those on Ask a Korean? I didn't read up about them, but they were mentioned a lot in the uh story of GG documentary. Okay. On the uh, Ask a Korean blog, there's actually a post about StarCraft. And uh PC Bong's figure very prominently in that. And uh, kind of going hand-in-hand hand with the Asian financial crisis that you'd mentioned, T, mm-hmm. happening in 97, the Korean notes that in South Korea in the 90s, and even up till now, they're still shaky on it, there's not a whole lot of encouragement for people to save money, or there's not much of a, of a pension system in place. So you've got this financial crisis, you probably have people being laid off, or people, you know, getting up there, getting close-ish to wanting to possibly retire. But they don't really have anything. They might have a nest egg, but it's not enough to live on for the rest of their lives. So they need some sort of side business, some sort of like little small enterprise they can just run very easily. And uh, a lot of those people just turn to PC bongs because all you need is space, a few computers. (laughs) Since 1998, South Korea has had internet four times the speed of the fastest internet in the U.S., so... What? Internet connectivity is is not a problem. All right. You know what? Forget this. I now know why people are moving to South Korea. It is is not because they want to be next to like the scariest place on earth. It's because they have fast internet. Get that hot, hot internet. Yeah. But, you know, all these ingredients go in the PC bong soup. And uh, you get these places where people just love to go because they've got these awesome computers with a lot of cool games, fast internet, which admittedly you could get at home, but your computer's probably not as good. And just like this this cool kind of atmosphere, because the interior decoration of a lot of PC bonds tries to make them look a little bit futuristic. Usually there's some sort of snack bar. So, you know, if you want to get some shrimp chips or uh, <laughs> I do. Or, or squid jerky, you know, they got you covered. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and the other thing I was pointing out, too, as we, as we wrap up this, yep. this PC yep. bond tangent, it was like another way to be social. Yeah. Because they're saying in the early 90s, a lot of the Korean youth would go to like billiard rooms or something like that. Like mm-hmm. you know, the pool hall. Yeah. And adults would go to karaoke <laughs> and, and you know, stuff like that. And that started to fade in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And then the proliferation of PC bongs stepped up and, uh, and there you are. Yeah. I guess I'm going to capstone this <laughs> then. <laughs> That's three pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, this game comes out, StarCraft allows you to do like local multiplayer doesn't require the internet yep mm-hmm. as we talked about they had the internet yeah. but not required can run on very low processing power pcs i've heard of people running it on a 486 oh, wow at the time probably like a pentium of some variety would have been more common but yeah runs on really low spec and it was a good game that was not made in japan ah, right right yeah so once you take your processors and your unemployed people and put them all into the PC bong soup, you got yourself a... You could have handed a bowl of soup to me and said, this is PC bong soup. And before today, I would have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's as much as I know. Jeez Louise. That's why we do this this podcast. Man, oh man. But once you've got all those, those pieces together, you've got a spark. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily why StarCraft was so popular in South Korea, and it doesn't explain why it gained the renown that it did across the world, but I think at least you got a spark there. Well, to sort of fill in maybe a blank or two for the uh, general popularity of StarCraft at the time, and particularly in South Korea, over time, within within a few years of its initial release, 
it became a standard for PC bongs. So, I mean, like, as you were getting more and more and more and more of them, it was just what you uh, came to expect when you walked in that you would find StarCraft on the computers. And the other element is StarCraft was part of Blizzard's Battle.net program scheme. Mm. I don't know. It was, it was like Blizzard's attempt to have, like, a centralized multiplayer setup for some of its games. Mm-hmm. And having that centralized uh, setup for multiplayer games made it a lot easier to, first off, play online, to see leaderboards, and there was no extra cost to play online. I think that spark gets you to, there are people who are really good at the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah, and which is a yeah. big, big part of it. And I guess even if you take it stateside, like in cities, you would have had pretty good internet setups yeah. probably but like definitely not across the country so being a prominent game with lan capabilities you've got another inkling where you can get together as your friends we've talked about like the stereotype of like the nerdy mm-hmm. person and and like being more insular and isolated and things like that and so you can take that and you get a bunch of those people together and you can play together like you would do on like a console game which as i think about it is the same period yes the nintendo 64 came out in 1997 yeah and and starcraft 64 was also in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) oh they did make a port because i know there was a command and conquer port but i'd forgotten about starcraft i don't know if i ever knew that it existed before i did the research for this (laughs) Well, it was really interesting because I was reading this article on like the history of RTSs mm. and StarCraft didn't come up until much, much later. Mm. Like people have been interested in RTSs since like the mid 1980s, which was also I was like gaming wasn't a thing. Then the answer is it was just much smaller. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are elements that bring you to the why. But StarCraft wasn't the only game to do even like no local multiplayer. No. I think there might have been some qualities just of the game itself, like some things that it did differently from other RTSs at the time. Like it had uh, multi-tiered units, which was kind of cool. It had a different camera angle than a lot of RTSs, where it was sort of like a little bit closer to the ground, a little bit more zoomed in ever so slightly than other RTSs. Even apparently the voice acting was a lot better than other real-time strategy games of the era. Yeah, so it had some things going for it just in and of itself that maybe drew a little bit more attention to it. I mean, the whole you must construct more pylons thing. I was over there teaching English in 2008, 2009, and it wasn't uncommon to like, you know, if if a student was feeling really worn out or like just really overwhelmed, it wasn't uncommon for them to quip, you must construct more pylons. (laughs) Can someone explain that reference? Sure. Generally speaking, in StarCraft, um, you make units and you build stuff by harvesting, like, either mm-hmm. Vespian gas. Vespian gas? Vespian, yeah. No, Vespian. Oh. <laughs> not Vespian. <laughs> and not Thespian. Definitely not that. <laughs> That's a Grind up entirely, all entirely yeah. different game. But you harvest that gas, you harvest yeah. something else, and then you, those things allow you to uh, build stuff. With Protoss, I think that's an element, but because Protoss have like psionic powers and all that sort of thing, um, you also need to build pylons. They're like antennas or something like they. They like power more powerful buildings, more powerful constructions, more powerful units. Sort of draw power from these pylons. Right. So if you're trying to build something and you don't have enough, a voice comes up and says, "You must construct additional pylons." Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Working from other RTSs like Age of Empires, I'm assuming that it's like you have a unit limit, and to increase the unit limit, you probably need more pilots. Yeah. It's been a long time since I played StarCraft, so that sounds more accurate. Nothing pointed out here, and just the StarCraft Wikipedia page. Hmm. So StarCraft has won numerous Game of the Year awards, is often described as one of the best RTS games, and is widely credited with popularizing the use of distinct and unique sides, as opposed to sides of equal ability and strength in RTSs. Hmm. Or, as we call it in board gaming, asymmetric sides. Whoa. Yeah. Slow down. Asymmetric gameplay is what makes gameplay inherently interesting. Yeah. Like chess is a symmetric gameplay situation. Uh, I'm having flashbacks to like when the Wii U came out and how oh. there were so many opportunities for asymmetric gameplay. Man, oh man. That did not um, pan out. Man. So as opposed to WoW, you are a person that you create. So there's more identity there, but like maybe more in terms of, of strategy. Like the mm-hmm. fact that there are different sides that have different abilities and you have to play them in different ways for success. Yeah. Is, it's in itself appealing. Yeah. There was a, a fortunately for me, a very short video called Starcraft, a blank canvas. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was a two minute video talking about this. Um, well, maybe they are a programmer. They are quite famous is the part I know. I think the players winter Starcraft and it's just like this juxtaposition of him playing the game talking about you know there's always different ways to learn to win and to learn to lose different strategies and different ways to like create the game and it keeps juxtaposing the gameplay and this ridiculous like you're watching his hands it looks like he's playing the piano (laughs) in terms of like all the keyboard shortcuts and like bouncing around the map and when they cut to the gameplay you're actually like watching him like click on one spot in the map and then click on another and like the play is very high level and talking about how he's like I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> like I think I think they're in like the top tier or something like that. But describing just how much there is to learn about the game and it keeps being spliced back and forth with these pictures of abstract art. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, it's a very fascinating thing. And I kind of understood that part of the why is that learning element. But I I guess I had a hard time contextualizing it because to me it felt like any game i guess i don't see the same level of fandom when you're talking about a game like you mean learning how to play the game at such a high level well i see as an example somebody who's playing a game very well mm-hmm. as being a skill i don't see it so much as a fandom so it right it crosses a strange line for me whereas people who are fans of sports like the fanish part comes from the dedication and knowledge to understanding the players yeah and their stats and things like that that's not untrue when you are playing the game, but it's like, oh, it's different. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's strange because it's it's not unlike other sports in that, you know, it's just like any other game, right? It's, it's this game you can play it for fun. Maybe if you really, really like it or really, really want to, you can try to go pro with it. And in that way, it's not too different from, say, basketball or soccer or baseball or cricket. But, like, the strange thing with StarCraft is that it, I guess, maybe because at the time, and uh, even now to some extent, it's just like this weird thing that you can actually make a living playing this game so intensely. And and not even that, I I guess it kind of goes back to our old friend effort justification. Because, as I mentioned earlier, when people are training to uh, become these awesome top tier players, they're training for 10 hours a day, six days a week, for months. 
in a house full of you know the rest of their team so full of other people who are training so it's it's this super intense super focused effort and i found this article from the guardian all about the player greg idra fields who was this uh player from america who went over to south korea was handpicked as part of sort of a tournament a scouting tournament and uh joined this team and when he was training he described the training not really as fun but as satisfying because he worked towards something that he really really wanted to do and could actually like see progress I mean, at least in the in the stat of actions per minute, that probably goes up quite a bit if you're really cranking out those 10 hours intensely, six days a week. But like, maybe part of the why, at least as far as the whole esports angle of, of StarCraft fandom goes, is that the people who became the first generation, second generation, third generation of uh, StarCraft pro players were like the first or among the first pro legit esports players. They might not have consciously wanted to start to kick off esports, but they were on the the forefront. One of the guys who was featured in the in the story of, of GG documentary mm-hmm. was a uh, Guillaume Patry, yeah, who was considered the most successful of the first generation. Who was who was Canadian, yeah, but has lived half his life in Korea, <laughs> being a pro gamer. That's what he did, <laughs> and that like oh, did did somebody break his? hands and give him carpal tunnel and now he's out of the game <laughs> no. he's he, he's playing hearthstone oh. now that's significantly less fast <laughs> yes i think hearthstone also a blizzard game old yeah old man poultry had to jump down to hearthstone interesting well i mean i feel like blizzard is good to the programmers oh, yeah. i mean a lot of the programmers had sponsorships yeah like an mma fight <laughs> yeah there are three channels in Korea dedicated to gaming. Yes. Which show StarCraft. Still? Still. Well, I mean, at least one of those channels, if not two, uh, started out as like exclusively StarCraft. Hmm. So that just speaks to uh, how important it was for that that start over there. I mean, I mean, like it's no longer the only game in town, but it is no. one, one of the games no. in town still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's interesting is that First of all, 90s kids of Korea mm-hmm. would be like, oh, yeah, StarCraft. <laughs> that was huge. That was huge when I was growing up. Yeah. Kind of thing. But I, I came across multiple different times where people think of it as a folk game. A folk game? Folk game. Such as Tag or Go. Oh. Wait, what's Go? Oh, sorry, Go, like Baduk. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and in the documentary, there's someone who's like, oh, yeah, you know, we don't have to talk about, like, what's the next Go? What replaces Go? And they're like, it's StarCraft. Pretty much. Oh, <laughs> pretty much. Small little anecdote that I found. In as much as we're talking about StarCraft as if it's the largest gaming thing in Korea, apparently mm-hmm. Go, or Baduk uh, in Korean, is even more popular than StarCraft in Korea, yep. um, which also contextualizes a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, where do you think they got the idea to start a dedicated channel all about StarCraft? Dedicated channels all about Go slash Baduk. Are there five? I think there might be two. That's still pretty There's impressive. There's at least one. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was a thing for a few years before StarCraft kicked off. Okay. It's where those high-paying, high-paid TV execs in South Korea got the idea. 
I mean, I guess there's flipping poker on TV, and there has been for a long time now. Yeah, interestingly, Ask a Korean actually made that exact comparison, that StarCraft in South Korea is like poker in the States. Oh. Ooh. StarCraft is like poker. Yeah, StarCraft in South Korea is, is as to poker in the States. Interesting. Yeah. I guess I can see it. At least, I think more in terms of like popularity and, you know, how it's it's this game that some people just play for fun most of the population plays for fun but then there's a small segment of the population or even i guess maybe a middling a sizable chunk of the population that watches it and like you know would argue it's a game of skill which uh poker fans out there i think starcraft's more of a game of skill your game's game of luck see you at the next cast come at, dot come com. <laughs> is that the second week in a row that we've thrown z under the bus I feel like we do it every week, but uh, <laughs> don't always put his email after it. Yeah, that's true. To be fair, yep. See if you hadn't have said it, I was about to say that. So, <laughs> g at the nextcast dot com if you prefer. <laughs> Time to make new emails, not g and not z <laughs> and not t at the nextcast dot com. Those don't exist. Don't send mail there. They okay. won't go anywhere. So, man, oh man. This is another thing, another aspect to StarCraft here. And I'm not going in a super productive area. I'm just talking about something that I discovered. Mm -hmm. I watched a video by IGN called StarCraft in Five Minutes. Okay. Hmm. I want to just get an overview of like how the races worked and like, you know, what the general gameplay was like. Yeah. And it wasn't that. It was a summarization of the story. Okay. Oh, I've seen some of those. They've got them for like Skyrim and things like that. Yeah. Which I wasn't expecting, but it was five minutes. So I watched it. Yeah. And I learned something about, I don't know what you call it, additive stories. Stories just go on, uh, such as comics or, you know, mm. wrestling. Okay. Or even long mm-hmm. TV shows. The tendency to have big reveals, and then the reveals after those reveals are, ah, this person was actually behind this initial reveal. And it just <laughs> you can just keep pulling back curtains until everything means <laughs> f- all. It's one of my least favorite narrative devices of all time. Yeah. And I think it's just a product of stories that just go on and are added to over time. Well, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the way that you make the canon interesting, right? Because otherwise part of it just atrophies. It's like this thing happened, but then it wasn't relevant anymore. Yeah. But they have relevance to the fans. So you're building a narrative that is inherently interesting story-wise, but also to the fans. You have to do like weird callbacks that may not make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's probably like the story as being a factor in why people are fans of StarCraft. But I think based on the number of competitive players and the number of professional players, that that is not a strong. I didn't think it would have that as much story as it did. <laughs> to be quite honest, based on like how, like the the competitive nature and like what kind of what the game is. Yeah, I mean, I think the story could be a factor in pulling people in. Just to to speak of fans who are either you know just caught up in the sport caught up in the game period or fans who are just getting into it i think part of the appeal uh this is again from that article on greg fields apparently when starcraft players are training the pros are training they stream that on like twitch Hmm. and what have you so people you know if you're a big starcraft fan uh especially for the competitive scene you can go in there and watch your favorite competitors train and talk with them and interact so there's like that level of, of uh, accessibility that other sports don't really have. That's true. Also, if you're training in StarCraft, you get the immediate positive feedback of doing well in StarCraft. 
Yep. Whereas if you're training, you know, if you're a swimmer and you're training, you're not doing a race against people every single time <laughs> you train. Yeah. Yeah. It's merely a race against time. <laughs> the story must be affector because there are people who cosplay as like uh kerrigan as a good example mm-hmm. and there have been uh books yes there are also books and graphic novels i think i mean probably comics or something and a board game <laughs> interesting starcraft the board game it's like all the apms you need 300 apms <laughs> Uh, good game. <laughs> GG. <laughs> Comes with 9,000 cards. <laughs> Alright, so in terms of the why, we've got like a competitive aspect. Mm-hmm. In Korea especially, you have this like cultural zeitgeist of things that makes it mm-hmm. like a folk game. Yeah. I think the whole folk game thing is probably a pretty powerful angle because I found this article from the Scientific American and it mentioned how the three things that combine the three skills for to do well in StarCraft are uh, work, good working memory, quick decision-making, and uh, precise motor skills. And maybe not so much the finger speed, but good working memory and good decision-making skills, I think, I would argue, are also very important to doing well in Badook. Yeah, so I, I have a quote from a Kotaku article, Why is StarCraft so popular? Yeah. That one, explicitly mentioned Badook. <laughs> And two uh, said, many Koreans easily become obsessed with activities or games that test their ability to think and react rapidly. And excelling in such activities for competition during youth is highly encouraged. This can range from math to science to Rubik's Cubes. And while StarCraft is generally not a recommended pursuit, (laughs) it falls under a similar obsessive mindset. Hmm. Ah. Uh, Hello, Vasily. Welcome to the chat. You just missed all the interesting conversation about Baduk and StarCraft. <laughs> just in Man, time. Half of your favorite topics. <laughs> um, but what I was going to add to that mm-hmm. was I'd be really interested to see if we did a second episode on StarCraft, and I don't know that we would. I'd be really interested to see if we didn't include Korea, how our look at the fandom would change. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because it it seems like so much of of the research like necessarily because that was the focus we wanted to take, but also just because it was so important that it it became intrinsic to to South Korea. Yeah, yeah. I think we should go to the verdict. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to the verdict. Okay. I think I accidentally said the thing for the verdict <laughs> that I would say. Didn't give a verdict. Oh, fine. Okay. So that thing. We still have to pass judgment on the fandom. Yes, we do. The penman. That's correct. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Verdict should be a summary of mm-hmm. things, but instead I'm going to actually add things. What? Just like just like my conclusions and essays. It's <laughs> How they add new data. You're not supposed yeah, to add new information in the no. conclusion. I mean, ignoring the fact that essays as taught in high school are not good yeah. essays. No. The old five paragraphers. Yep. I don't think I can get into StarCraft fandom. Not because there isn't one, not because it isn't compelling, just because, like, uh, as we discussed, the competitive aspect to gameplay is very important. Yes, there is still a curative aspect to the game, but that is not something that is inherently interesting to me. I had read some interesting stuff about the demise of StarCraft 2. There were numerous articles about the demise of StarCraft 2. 
and the rise of Twitch as an example, mm-hmm. and possibly how Twitch had helped to kill StarCraft 2. But it also talked about Twitch and how there's so many games out there. And I think for me, I can't get into StarCraft because there are too many games out there. <laughs> yeah. If I was going to spend all my time learning a competitive game, it wouldn't be StarCraft, but also I wouldn't do that. I would rather enjoy many multiple games it sounds like there's an inherently fascinating world of the fandom and the training and the stories much like we talked about with figure skating Mm -hmm. how there's like these really interesting narratives of people and probably stories about people who were training and like got carpal tunnel and hamstrung their opportunities but i will not probably be following up on those stories so i'm out all right i'll get in here for z gets the final word here (laughs) Oh, get that elbow out of my face. Uh, uh, the first time I ever uh, heard about anything StarCraft related was an emoticon, if you can recall that term. What? Oh. On, on something awful. Oh, man. They just said, OMG Zerg Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. So I looked it up. I was like, okay, it's some StarCraft thing where people attack it with a lot of Zergs. And today I finally watched a video of what? <laughs> Saw 400 Zergs just like annihilate everyone else through sheer mass. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun. And uh, I'm good for StarCraft after having watched that. I don't need any more. <laughs> um, I don't know. Strategy games are not my favorite games. I much prefer something like World of Warcraft that's immersive and you create mm-hmm. your own character and it's more narrative driven. Yeah. Also, Games where my reflexes are tested, <laughs> not my favorite games. Oh, your favorite board game isn't <laughs> Dutch Blitz? Ah! <laughs> we played, what was that, Nine Tiles? Yeah. So f- I could win a single game. Uh-huh. No, I'm not good. I gotta sit and think for for a little bit. I tend not to like games that have competitive elements. I mean, I like Smash Brothers, I guess, and Pokemon, yeah. but it's like I'm trying to trying to take the RPG aspect from Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Not a shit in the, in the competition part at all. If I were to play StarCraft, just play against bots or something. But um, no, and also the constant uh, curtain pullings have made me have made me a little, uh, <laughs> a little sour on exploring the mythos. Mm. So uh, I'm afraid that uh, that I am out. Well, I found it really interesting to learn, you know, all the stuff behind why StarCraft is such a a phenomenon in South Korea. But you know, just like so many other sports fandoms that we've looked at, and I would honestly say that, yeah, I consider it to be a sport. Super weird hearing that. <laughs> I mean, it's I 100% agree, but it is no yeah. less weird to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's like people being really good at professional ping pong, right? That is definitely a sport. That sort of tight, precise motion. You know, you're not like playing tennis, running across the court, making big swings. You're just kind of like lunging back and forth across one end of a ping pong table with like little wrist motions going in anyway more of a sport than golf geothenicecast.com <laughs> <laughs> oh boy anyway i am out as well Ooh. even in terms of like the whole mythos thing eh. like i played starcraft when it came out probably because i really enjoyed even though i was not very good at warcraft 2 probably the first blizzard game i ever played but even then, you know, it was just like another kind of Warcraft in my brain. It was, you know, it was just nothing really to grab onto and nothing really grabbing me. All right. Yeah. 
Guys, we've had a lot of no's lately. So we <laughs> need some eyes? <laughs> Actually, that works. That works. Yeah. They got... <laughs> Wait, yeah, that does work. Well done. Well done. We can really smell them out when we need to. Okay, nope. We're back in terrible territory. Uh, You were going somewhere that I assumed you... <laughs> it, no, just like, uh, like it's been to like quite a few in a row where none of us have really been in. I think it just has to do with, as we discussed, it's like there's so many things out there in the world to explore and it's like, do I want to do this one? Like in the case of StarCraft, you're joining a world that's been going for a long time and you're like, like a late adopter would be a generous telling of it. <laughs> yeah. The world has moved on to MOBAs and other styles of RTSs. That article I was reading about the history of RTSs had talked about how not that RTSs are over, but how they've like kind of stagnated. Mm-hmm. Plus, if any of us wanted to get into the competition, uh, the, nope. rather the competitive aspect of it, just like hypothetically, we're all at least six years too late because it seemed like by their mid-20s, most StarCraft professional players are just done. Like sports. Yeah. Well, they just can't keep it up. There aren't a lot of professional athletes that are, you know, into their 30s. No. Maybe hockey? Maybe. I mean... You always got your outliers, but generally it's early to mid-20s. Yeah. Just another reason why it's a sport. I think, too, past seasons have been sort of based around what we're pulling from our brains a little bit. Yeah. And as such, a little more likely for us to, to pick one. But this this time, we've, it's kind of, we take, kind of taken the process outside of our brains a little bit. Mm-hmm. Going around the world. So, you know. Another reason for a few no's, but uh, pretty sure we got some yeses on the horizon, if I can remember. Ones we got coming up? Yeah. I think we do. I think we do. (laughs) (laughs) Normally we have a spotlight, but this week we do not, sadly, because, as it turns out, uh, every week we try to have a spotlight and usually highlight a really cool fan project or um, like a charity or things like that. Often it is a charity. And this week I found out that while there are many StarCraft and StarCraft II charities, none of them are like a dedicated thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like as we briefly touched on, StarCraft is almost like a skill set rather than a fandom. <laughs> and as such, there are tournaments where people play StarCraft and donate the proceeds to charity but that doesn't mean that there's an organization exclusively dedicated to that or spearheaded by that or anything to that extent Mm -hmm. i certainly couldn't find a spotlight for this week i wonder how long it'll be until there are uh, charitable tournaments there are definitely some i found one but it was hosted back in 2013 and doesn't appear to have happened again And I'm sure there are much smaller local events. Yeah. But again, maybe, maybe the charities got all the money they needed. Yeah, maybe. Yep. Charities do not need any more money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the world is great. Nothing <laughs> bad is happening in the world <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> no bad things are happening near Korea either. Cool. So if you like this episode, boy. <laughs> <laughs> If you like this episode, please head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating and review there. It helps uh, more people see us on iTunes when they're searching in the society and uh, culture section of, uh, of podcasts. And also hit subscribe so you get a brand new episode every single Friday. If you are watching this on the stream, then this Friday's episode is on cricket. Mm-hmm. 
And then next Friday will be the episode that you were part of. Yeah. And thank you for joining us, Vasily62 and uh, Kaito L. Yeah. Being a, being a part of this week's stream. We're also at the Nixcast on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. That is where all the happenings are happening, uh, if you want to keep up to date on all your all your Nick news. But you could also visit patreon.com slash the Nixcast. Yes, if you like all of our content or any of our content, or some of our content, and you want to see more of it, uh, you can become a patron of the NixCast. What is a patron? Well, it is somebody who supports an artist, in this case us, and uh, you can do that on patreon.com slash the NixCast. Even as little as a dollar a month pledge is very helpful in keeping the lights on, keeping the podcast ad-free, helping us to make it out to different cons, interview people, do Phanthropological Arcade, which is our weekly Let's Play, do Twitch streams, uh, get equipment so that you can see Z's actual face and not that picture that we have of him. <laughs> all sorts of different things. It's all extremely helpful. Check it out, patreon.com slash the next cast. Your support is greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this podcast on your audio device with earbuds, headphones, speakers, uh, you've opened up... Uh, I don't know, you've opened up a teapot and it started to play for you. I don't know what's happening there, but uh, you might want to get that checked out. You might also want to go to twitch.tv slash the Nixcast Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, EST, to uh, come and enjoy the stream, just like Kaito Al and Vasili have tonight. So that's twitch.tv slash the Nixcast, 8 p.m., monday nights all right so there's of course one last little bit we've enjoyed our stint in south korea and uh you know we're starting to think about our plans of world domination i mean plans of fandom domination i mean visiting other parts of the world and looking at some interesting fandoms in that area or just talking about fandoms that happen to be prominent in that area next week we will be traveling to japan which I swear to God, we could have covered, like, an entire season on Japan. (laughs) (sighs) A lot of fandoms. Yeah, but we decided to pick only one. Mm -hmm. And next week, we will be talking about fans of uh, Hatsune Miku. That's right. I mean, probably all Vocaloids, but Hatsune Miku is, like, the one that made it the most popular. Mm -hmm. With that being said, Z. What's your famous last words All right. regarding Hatsune Miku? Famous last words. I'm remembering from the cricket episode that uh, <laughs> even earlier, I believed he had mentioned that he's been planning his Hatsune Miku famous last words for a while now. Hopefully I'm not about to steal them. I also hope this. My famous last words for the Hatsune Miku fandom are that the reason, or at least part of the reason for Hatsune Miku's popularity has to do with dating sims. Sorry, so Hatsune Miku is popular because of dating sims. In part, yes. Dating sims are an element here, I believe. Like, there's a Hatsune Miku dating sim that, like, added an extra punch to the whole Vocaloid phenomenon, or some element there that uh, involves dating sims. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, G, what do you got? I'm going to say that a portion of her fan base does not know that she is not a real person. Well, I mean, surely you saw her on that late night TV show. Looked pretty real to me. I know, right? Sorry, Vasily. She is not real. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
I did not pre-prepare for this, but I did immediately think of something because I was reading a book and that gave me ideas. All right. My famous last words, which are actually a couple of questions for next week, Hmm. are, are there male counterparts to the Vocaloids? I'm just curious. And this is like a weird tirade that may or may not go anywhere. But hey, I was reading a book called The Moe Manifesto and it's definitely on top of my mind. Is Hatsune Miku peak Moe? Hmm. That is a question that will definitely not be answered. <laughs> a lot of nuts to crack next episode. Oh, yeah. Yep. Gotta get on our plane makes more sense, right? Boats, not so much. I mean, we could go down to uh, to Busan and take a boat, the ferry, over to Fukuoka. Okay. Yeah, okay. That sounds nice. All right. Yeah. Do you think that'd be a nice trip or would a plane, plane be a better... You don't have to stand on a plane. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Land in beautiful Narita Airport, I believe. It's a very popular, very busy airport. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, maybe we'll catch a plane and then see you all next week on uh, on Anthropological. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>